podcast i am carter and joining me as always is jonathan how are you doing jonathan i'm doing well i've pretty much seen every movie that i plan to in the theater from last year of course there's literally hundreds of movies that one <laughs> does not see each year but uh we're catching up even though it's february with some of the major releases released in 2023 yes and not not too many really interesting titles released in 2024 yet but that might change at the end of the month coming into next month when we have some big movies coming out. But as Jonathan said, we are sort of mopping up, cleaning up, <laughs> reviewing some of the movies from 2023. And the first one we will be doing today as part of a sort of theme on writers in crisis is one of the most nominated movies of 2023, if I'm not mistaken. It is American Fiction, directed by Cord Jefferson, which I believe is his directorial debut, yes? Correct. He has worked in television, including the HBO Watchmen series and comedies like The Good Place. But this is his directorial debut. And I may add one of the stronger uh, directorial debuts of 2023. Also wrote this movie. Um, it yes, stars based on a novel that came out back in 2001 yes. called Erasure. Uh, starring Jeffrey Wright, who's nominated for Best Actor. Uh, Tracy Ellis Ross and Sterling K. Brown, who was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. It follows an African-American professor and novelist who becomes frustrated when his classically themed novels fail to sell and instead writes a parody of urban fiction that becomes a success. Meanwhile, he is going through personal and family issues. It originally premiered September 8th at the Toronto International Film Festival and was released wide in the U.S. December 15th with a Metacritic score of 81 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 94. Jonathan, what did you think of American Fiction? I thought it was a very funny, smart movie. And like I said, it's a very impressive directorial debut. Um, I think Jeffrey Wright has never been better. I think he's very well cast in the movie. Uh, he kind of has this, what do you call it? Like hangdog melancholy. <laughs> sort of gruff. Humor. Yeah. And um, he actually is one of the best African-American actors with his track record of working with directors and doing interesting films. Um, I think partially, I've said this before, that, for example, Denzel Washington is unquestionably one of the absolute greatest living actors, mm -hmm. um, but he doesn't have the most sterling uh, filmography, like honestly, about <laughs> half of his films are kind of generic action films and taking shots and, at Antoine Fuqua over here. I know, I know, <laughs> but it's like equalizer one, two and three and uh, you know, remake magnificent of, seven remake. Even if, even if, you know, even if uh, I mean, I, I would say that Tony Scott is an auteur, you know, it's like, do we really need a taking a Pelham one, two, three remake? <laughs> but, uh, and he said in an interview that he, you know, is not a crazy uh, film buff and cineast uh, so if, you know, when you see him in something like the tragedy of Macbeth and he works with like Joel Cohen it's like oh my gosh what if 
uh, he had worked with directors like that for the last 35 years, like more often. And, you know, what if he well, which was Jeffrey in, Wright definitely does working with. Yes, because he's in Wes like Anderson. By, yeah. Jim Jarmusch and Julianne Schnabel. And he's, uh, you know, he's done some really interesting work. And uh, I think that this is, uh, you know, he's often an actor. He's certainly had lead roles in films. I mean, yeah. one of his first playing Basquiat and the Julian Schnabel film, but uh, frequently he has really good supporting roles. Mm -hmm. And I want to add that I think part of the problem is that even though there's so many great directors, you know, the Spielbergs and the Scorseses uh, and the Woody Allens, uh, not many of them often cast African-Americans in major, major roles. No, that's true. Uh, part of the problem with Denzel Washington not having the track record of directors that he has is because you know, I love Scorsese and those directors, but like how many of their movies, like at all, like the top five actors on the call sheet have ever been black, like yeah. never hardly. Yeah. Um, but I think American fiction is a film that deals obviously with race in a very clever way that I think that no matter what your political persuasion is, I think that it could be entertaining to a lot of different people because it both uh, seriously looks at uh, the way race is portrayed in media and culture, specifically in the book world, but it also kind of slyly attacks the kind of, I don't want to use the word woke because that gets in a whole icky area where people kind of use that word in ways that just make me want to vomit. But uh, I think that- uh, Well, also kind of, kind of the, the exploitation of wokeness, I guess, for commercial purposes. Right. It's like it's there's a shot I've been seeing over and over again in the trailers and the TV spots where uh, the main character played by Jeffrey Wright is standing up listening to Issa Rae's character read this seemingly really uh, stereotypical uh, African-American story. And a white woman stands up and blocks uh, him in the background. And so it's like it's almost like these uh, quote unquote black books are really written largely for white audiences to make it's almost like a you know I've heard people say before there's certain movies that you know they're black quote-unquote movies for white people to uh -huh. feel better about themselves or you know it's about slaves and the ghetto and not that there can't be really great legitimately good films and you know books literature about those subjects but it seems like there are a disproportionate uh a disproportionate number of uh works of art that deal with you know african-americans and roles that are where they're subservient they're suffering they're historical films you know mm -hmm. but uh you know it's because in the film itself american fiction's interesting because like how many films do you have you know a main character who's a published writer and an academic that's well, and like kind of like upper class as well um. right and uh in a way this movie um even though I just mentioned his name and like Woody Allen, like virtually in all of his 50 movies, like virtually never had African-American in his films. Um, the movie kind of reminded me of a Woody Allen movie because uh, a number of Woody Allen's movies have kind of a conceit to it, like the Purple mm -hmm. Rose of Cairo or Zelig or Hollywood ending. And, uh, you know, basically the conceit of the movie also where he's purposely writing this really bad stereotypical uh, black novel with ghettos and gun violence and parental very bad grammar uh, neglect. yes uh it also in a way 
even though the purpose of it's different and this it's kind of like the producers yeah the it kind of is yeah. where he's like there he's trying to do something as awful as possible and then it ends up succeeding in spite of him uh, of what he his intentions were um but yeah i, I very much enjoyed this movie. i think it's very funny and the performances were all good it's very sharply written and it's yeah i thought it was, i was very entertained by the movie well, as much as uh, we've been sort of talking about the the social satire and the the satire of the publishing world and the way African Americans are uh, depicted in fiction and in media, the thing that I really appreciated—maybe not appreciated, but uh, like really liked about this movie—was the family drama element, which was much more central than I expected it to be, based on the marketing, which made me think it was going to be almost entirely focused on this sort of like send up of the publishing world and. Um, you know, the sort of subjects that African-American creatives are supposed to take on. Um, but underneath that, or I guess in parallel to it, there's like this excellent family drama about, um, you know, parents suffering with dementia and siblings going through personality crises and unexpected deaths and stuff and stuff like that, um, which I thought was really well handled and extremely well acted um, and had some Tracy Ellis Ross, I think is probably the best I've ever seen her in a movie. She's mostly known for comedic performances but gives a really uh sort of nuanced and sympathetic performance as uh and uh best known probably being uh in television yes exactly um and uh i think that they actually did a good piece just this past sunday on cbs sunday morning where they interviewed the four main female actors in the film and mm-hmm. um you know the two that were nominated uh were male but there's it's a really strong film uh, with women characters, the next door neighbor who ends up starting a relationship uh, with Jeffrey Wright's character. And they're, they're very nuanced. Like there's a lot of shades to them. And what's interesting is it's like kind of a contrast. It's like, you see how complex and uh, difficult, but charming all these characters can be. Whereas in the books that they're being, that are being discussed and written and purposely written to be bad, these yeah. characters are so one dimensional and they're so stereotypical where, <laughs> you know, the film itself is kind of, it's like a meta film in a way, also in a weird way, kind of reminded me of adaptation mm-hmm. a little bit um, where it's kind of reminding you that, uh, you know, your work, you know, you put yourself in the work, but you change it. And it's, you know, there's, there's a little bit of a meta quality to it. Oh, definitely. I mean, especially as you get closer to the end, it becomes extremely meta. Uh, when it starts going on about the uh, the film adaptation and stuff like that. Um, yes. There was one scene I thought really stood out, which is when he's writing uh, the book, it sort of like visualizes the scene that he's writing. And there's two really good performances by the people who are characters in the book, Keith David and, uh, sorry if I mispronounce his name, Okierite Una Odewan. I don't think I got that right, but I remember him from Hamilton, uh, which was something I don't think I'd really seen anything like it before. And it really stuck out as I was watching it, like, oh, this is really actually extremely creative and, and really well acted and very, very funny. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I think I agree with you. That this is probably the best Jeffrey Wright has been. And he has had lead roles before, but nothing quite so central as this, where he's basically in every scene of the movie. Um the movie sort of is, you know, made or broken based on his performance. And it really, really is outstanding. And it, it is just quite different than I expected it be, to be because the marketing was so focused on the sort of literary world part of it. And the part that, you know, I really gravitated toward was the the family drama. Um, 
And although I thought Sterling K. Brown was really good in it, I'm kind of upset he was nominated for supporting actor because other, I think maybe more worthy performances uh, uh, were missed out because of that. Like uh, May, December, what's the name of the, the actor from that? Charles Melton. Charles Melton, along with some other ones that I could think of. I, I, uh, I would have been very happy to see Glenn Howerton from Blackberry nominated. He was a dark horse. Um but I also think that uh, it it's in. I saw an interview where he said that he is very lucky and privileged to be nominated, but he knows he's going to lose. He said Robert Downey Jr. is going to win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it was probably uh, in my for my money the most stacked category this year, best supporting actor. Like oh, I definitely. Been, there yeah. were like like seriously like seven or eight that I really would have wanted to have been nominated. And I'm um, surely this is his first nomination. He's someone who's sort of been better. It's Jeffrey known Wright's for... first too, actually. Yeah, for Oscar. But, like that's um... pretty crazy too. And I guess Sterling K. Brown has been in television for such a long time, or that's where he's sort of best known. Yeah, um, that was With, interesting um, to see. Playing uh, 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 in the O.J. Simpson miniseries, and, and then This, this is, is Us. I think he won yes. an Emmy for lead actor. Yeah. Um, but it was a interesting performance of you know someone I guess coming out in middle age and also a sort of complex depiction of like substance abuse um, in a way that I don't think I'd really seen too often depicted on film where it, they don't necessarily make judgments about it in a way that I thought was interesting. And um, it seemed like you very easily could have sort of made judgments about the character or become didactic or preachy in a way that they just didn't, because I guess it affords a little bit of grace to this person as he's going through such a, crisis in his personal life um so it was a very interesting character and a really good performance but just not one of the top five supporting acting performances of the year i um, would have uh been i mean i would have picked jeffrey wright as one of the best actor nominees probably if i had to pick five from any film i saw last year. i agree I with that yeah um i, mean, I don't think it's going to win any oscars i don't think that um it's you know if i were like making it's not in my top 10 of last year but i very much enjoyed the film and it's one of just the it's one of the better comedies from last year. You know, it's oh, interesting yeah. that, uh, you know, you have a number of comedies nominated, uh, Barbie and the holdovers and uh, the Amer uh, poor things, you know, different types <laughs> of comedies. But, um, you know, there's a number of comedies nominated for best. There's picture. some very funny moments in Killers of the Flower Moon. <laughs> Not exactly a comedy, though. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it, it, Leo plays such an idiot of a character. But, uh -huh. um but yeah, I think that, uh, yeah. I, so. I highly recommend this. I think this is really, really good. Worthy of of a lot of nominations, especially with um, screenplay, which is really strong, and, and best actor, which was very strong as well. Uh, anything yes. else on American fiction, Jonathan? No, someone should do a film retrospective of some point of every film that's American something. Yeah, now, American <laughs> be a lot. Beauty, <laughs> American, American Psycho, yeah, American, American Splendor. I know, there, you know, American movie, really good documentary. Uh, there's, you know, there, I, I, there's so there's two films that have been nominated for Best Picture, at least with American because American Beauty won Best Picture. Mm -hmm. And the American, American Paris, President. if you count more, not just American in one word, right, American is, in Paris won. Yeah. Let's let's steer back from this tangent and move on to our second movie uh, on this sort of theme of writers in crisis uh, in their personal lives. It is Origin, directed by Ava DuVernay, who also wrote the script. I think all three we are going to be doing are writer-director um, 
where the director also wrote the screenplay. Um, and all, all three adaptations. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, this one, interestingly, a uh, nonfiction book, but it's very much part of the film itself. Yes. Uh, Ava, Ava DuVernay has previously directed Selma, uh, the 13th and A Wrinkle in Time. It stars Ingenue, Ellis Taylor, John Bernthal, and Vera Firminga. It is based on the book Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents by Isabella Wilkerson, and the film portrays the events surrounding the writing of the book as well as dramatizing events from the book. Uh, it originally premiered September 6th at the Venice Film Festival, was released wide in the U.S. January 19th. It has a Metacritic score of 77 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 82. I am shocked that the ratings are that high because I thought that this movie did not work at all. <laughs> what did you think of this, Jonathan? I think it's a very well acted movie and it's very uh, heartfelt. It is definitely I the. Mean, yeah. And I think that uh, <laughs> I was telling someone that in a weird way, the movie is like Naked Lunch, the David yeah. Cronenberg <laughs> film, because it is uh, a seemingly unadaptable book. And what they did by making the film is not just try to put in the book, put the book on screen, but take the author's life and the creation of the book and put that into the movie. But then very, the very last half movies. hour is basically just quotes from the book. Well, I would say the major, I mean, I like the film well enough, uh, but I think the major issue with the movie is that uh, nearly every scene in the movie is just, I don't want to say didactic or pretty, it <laughs> but it's just, it's, it, it, it's just like, telling her thesis and it's all about her just proving her points and going and people going that can't be right how can you make this work and then yeah other people going keep going you're gonna make this work (laughs) yes i mean i think that uh some people have been critical ava duvernay for being kind of self-centered maybe or like i remember when the uh director um uh who uh what's her name lynn sheldon passed away mm-hmm. like she posted on social media a picture of her in the center receiving an award and like lynn sheldon is like on the side like in the background and she's like oh i'm so thankful for, you know sorry she died but and it's like uh it feels like the movie is uh almost you know you could see ava duvernay like is patting herself on the back the whole movie is like oh isn't she brilliant and amazing for coming up with this yes uh, <laughs> You know, but I mean, you could say, you know, like Tarantino is as self-centered and egotistical and putting himself out there. Yeah, but I don't think he's thinking his movies are changing the world in a way that Ava DuVernay obviously thinks that this movie is like the most important movie that's ever been made. Is that a bad thing to try to make art that changes the world? Um, no, but I think you really need to hit if you do. And I don't think this one did at all. I mean, I think... I just when I was watching, I just couldn't help thinking, like, wouldn't this work much better as a documentary? Like, why does this need to be a fictionalized? It's not even fictionalized, really, but like a narrative film. Like, what's sort of the purpose of this? I mean, yeah, it's like you have the uh, tragedies in her life and then you're like, you know, OK, even if like, you, you know, OK, you have this should basically your thesis is that the caste uh, system in India and the uh jim crow segregation and slavery yeah the slavery the 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 racial horrible uh, racial history in america and the nazis uh in germany are all three of those are connected 
Okay. Yes. And um, she, you know, lays that out in the film, but then you get, you know, her, you know, this isn't really a spoiler. It's, you know, it's like happens very early in the movie. But, yes. And as uh, part of the, the writer's life. I mean, it is. Yeah. But it's like, you know, as, you know, stirring as some of these emotional scenes are individually, it's like, but like, why are we like caring about her life? Like, what, how does that connect to her, like, piece of, and like her writing the book? I mean, it's like, it's part of her life, but like, why do we yeah. need to know this? No, yeah, I like, I don't know. It felt very self-serving. Maybe that's like being very, very harsh on it. Um, And just kind of unnecessary. And like. Have you seen 13th? No, I haven't. I've heard I, that's quite good. That is a documentary, right? It's not yeah. like a fictionalized sort of thing. Yeah. So um, do you? Th I mean, <laughs> wouldn't you think that this would work better? <laughs> it's a documentary. Like probably. Yeah. I mean, it's like I. I. It's a movie where I. It'd felt be like much cheaper as well, because it like looks like this movie's gonna lose a lot of money because it apparently costs thirty-eight million dollars. And and a lot of the interviews she was talking about how difficult the financing was. And after seeing it, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like no shit. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard to get people to see documentaries, but I don't know that any more or less are going to see People are going to see this, exactly, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I watched right before, like literally right before I went to the theater to see it, her first feature narrative film called I Will Follow. And mm -hmm. it's interesting, I mean, we can do this with the third film, All of Us Strangers, but how uh, previous works of hers are kind of building up to origin because I Will Follow is this very intimate drama. It's like 81 minutes long. And it's about a woman who is helping uh, clear the house out of her family member, her aunt, I think. And uh, that's, oh, that's kind of, of a big the, part of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big part of this film. And, uh, and then Blair I was, Underwood's, yeah, that whole thing. I was like, why is this happening? <laughs> and Blair, uh, Blair Underwood's in both films. Um, and then uh, I think that, you know, it connects to 13th because it's this, you know, the, the movie origin is not at all really a documentary but it's one of those where it's like is that guy the real guy or is this an actor and like that's kind of cool uh it's it's like it's a movie where like individual scenes are affecting yes. and powerful and intriguing but when you kind of put it all together you're like but why are we like watching her life story and you know her I mean, it's it's like, oh, I'm sorry her husband, you know, died so young and like, I'm, you know, sorry her, you know, her family, you know, but it's like, but like, why do we care that? I mean, it's like, I, I feel, feel yeah. kind of bad saying it, but like, why do, why are we supposed to be this interested? Well, I mean, I, it's, I can understand sort of like the, you know, micro with the macro and in connecting stuff. But I mean, a big question she gets asked a lot in the movie is like, what does this have to do with your mom? And it's like, yeah, what? have to do yeah. with your mom like nothing it has nothing to do with your mom it also yeah. i mean i'll have to read the book to like really sort of address like the thesis but i don't even think that necessarily the movie really sold me on whether her thesis is actually correct because a lot of the criticisms like you know at the beginning she's saying like it's not about race it's about caste and by the end i'm like i kind of still seems like it's about race <laughs> like, well i mean and it's like you know, the Trayvon Martin, uh, you know, shooting and like having like cuts where like you're showing it as like comparable to like someone, you know, in a concentration camp. It's like they're very different things. Like yes. like they're they're both like on the category of bad and, and, and horrible and should yeah. not have happened in crime. Like there's humanity, there's but... something a little icky about that. Like, you know, well, and also like showing Trayvon Martin at the end, like smiling and like 
you know, like everything's good now. It's like what? smiling at her, the <laughs> amazing Pulitzer Prize winning author. Yeah. Who's who's like, I guess, made his death mean something through the publication of this it, book or something like that. Like I was like, like, what are you what are you trying to say? <laughs> well, I gave it to her and I haven't seen it, but I've heard that she, you know, was a producer and directed some of this uh, narrative miniseries about Colin Kaepernick and Colin Kaepernick like had this idea that you know when you're in training and you're they're trying to pick people for teams you know and you're re being recruited that he felt like he was a slave on the auction block I'm like that's mm, so like, let's go, like let's go back in history and like ask the people that were brutally terrorized and beaten and say hey you think this is uh you know comparable to like being recruited to play football yeah and like, being paid millions of dollars to be in the nfl and yeah <laughs> gatorade yeah. sponsorships and nike sponsorships. Yeah, so there's some kind of um connections that i find kind of uh Just, questionable yeah i mean i think i mean i think this would have benefited a bit more from outside voices like i don't know it's it just seems like you know, the Ava DuVernay obviously sees a bit of herself in the Isabel Wilkinson character that like they're both doing this world changing work. And it just seems like her sort of propping up Isabel Wilkinson in, in the movie is her sort of propping up herself in a certain way, in a way that, you know, I found it slightly distasteful. Um, well, and it's a film. It's a film, too, where like every scene is just like what's happening like there's no it's just that <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's like we're talking about the thing we're talking about and like there's no kind of. I mean, you see her personal life, but even in her personal life, it's like someone's like lying on their deathbed or in their and she's basically you know, spouting her thesis again. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, like she's, you know, she's like walking around India and she's, you know, trying to find information. You know, her sister's dying. No, no, I got to find my thesis. You know, yeah. but um, I, but just, I, still, I did I, not like this movie like at all. I Did you see Selma? I did. And I liked yeah. Selma quite a bit. Yeah, that, that that's an affecting drama. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I I didn't dislike the movie, but I felt like it was a it, it was I mean, I like that it's it, it's it's a swing and you're and and it's yeah. you know provocative. And I and I do like, I mean, this is a, it's like really beautifully shot, like it's shot on film and it has kind of an earthy quality to it. Um yes. but uh well also some of the casting decisions I thought were very odd, like Nick Offerman in this very small scene as the plumber where they sort of connect. He's like, you know, wearing a MAGA hat. Oh, signaling racist guy. They have a conversation about their dead parents or, you know, his parent who's still alive, but it's just so mean that he's going to make him sympathetic about this woman's flooded basement. It's like, what the hell was that about? <laughs> what, what are you trying yeah, to well, say I, about I, this? <laughs> well, I mean, and like you mentioned Vera Farmiga, but she's in the movie like seven minutes, maybe. But yeah. And know? also I thought it was really strange. She cast two American non-german speaking actors playing roles where they exclusively speak german i thought was really odd uh, uh, it's that guy finn, finn whitrock and victoria yeah. pedretti i was like what it's like i don't know what it is about finn but like every time i see him in a movie it's just like he he's been in ryan murphy shows and i just can't think of it he seems like oh there's the ryan murphy guy <laughs> yeah like, i mean he's like generic handsome white guy yeah, and I, I mean, the sort of point of that is like it's an average person standing up to, 
you know, this like brutal regime, why couldn't she just cast like an unknown German person? Like, what's wrong with doing that? Why did it have to be Finn Rittwalk? And it kind of took me out of the scene. I was like, is that who I think it is? Like, is that just like that American guy that was in the big short? And then I was yeah. like, oh, is that the girl from the Netflix shows? I was like, neither of these people are German. Their German isn't particularly good. Um, I thought that was just odd. Like, maybe it had something to do with financing that they needed recognizable faces in it, but well, um, and and then and then it's like they're not in the movie for like forty five minutes. Like, oh yeah, they're like part of this somewhere, you know. Yeah. It kind of goes back and forth between the, yeah. And I I think that uh, there's something a little bit. I don't know if the word is precious, but there's just certain scenes that are a little kind of melodramatic, and you know, it's like yeah, well, and just you know, let's look at you know, let's look at the you know people like running through the streets of India, and you know. <laughs> And you know, there's just something there's there's like kind of there's a little bit of like Malik wannabe yes. to it, you know. Yes. I mean you can really tell that she thinks she's making like a world-changing, massively important movie. And I think she's really upset it didn't get nominated for any Oscars. I remember her being, you know, had really speaking out about Ingenue Ellis Taylor not getting nominated for Best Actress. And it's like, why would she be <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's a good yeah, I mean, performance it's not like one of the best i've ever seen or anything like that no bar uh, uh margot robbie was more snub for barbie like yes definitely <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah and, but one thing she can't uh you know be too upset about is that there were a lot of people of color nominated i think yeah in every category maybe yeah probably uh, or at least among the uh, most we've ever had to be them. honest well i mean but it's uh you know it's like you have american fiction and uh you know at least non-white, you have like American Ferrera. I don't know what's yeah. the she's Spanish oh, from Barbie. Whatever. Yeah, America yeah, Ferrera. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I, I mean, you had, but I mean, but anyway, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have nominated for anything, but uh, it's uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just Selma. Yeah, Selma's I think much better. Yeah, thirteen for and sure I, is better. She, she did this mini series. She directed all four episodes called "When They See Us" that has the lead actress in it, and that's supposed to be excellent. I've heard. Yeah. It just, um, I don't know. She's obviously a really talented filmmaker. Um, I just thought this was a massive, massive mess. And um, I don't know, the sort of self-importance of it put me off in, in a lot of ways. And some of the scenes were just sort of baffling. And and it, I don't know. I mean, maybe the people who know nothing about this, it might seem relevatory, but it's like, yeah. I mean, I know that the Nazis used Jim Crow segregation laws to form like their laws. Like that's something I've been aware of since I was in high school. Like that's not particularly re relevatory to me um and stuff about like the caste system in india and yeah i mean maybe if you knew nothing about the sort of way the world operates you'd be like oh my god it's all connected but to well, me it was just yeah like... yeah and, and like you know there's scenes where like she's walking through like historical events and it's like oh i'm witnessing you know there's something a little bit like you know yeah i, I just know. felt a little icky i don't know i didn't like this i i mean i'm I'm sure the book's good. It's a bestseller, recommended by a lot of people. Like, well, I'd be more interested. It was a bestseller. Too. That <laughs> yeah, doesn't mean that's anything. true. I'd be more interested in seeing this thesis espoused over 500 pages than a two-hour narrative film. I think two hour um, and twenty-one minutes. Two hour and twenty. Yeah, also a bit overlong, if you ask me. Uh, but we're gonna take a very short break and, and be back with our third movie on the theme of writers in crisis. <laughs> Hello, and we are back from our very short break uh, for our third movie on the theme of writers in crisis. 
this one is All of Us Strangers, directed by Andrew Hay, who has previously directed Lean on Pete and 45 Years, as well as Weekend. Uh, it stars Andrew Scott, Paul Mescal, Jamie Bell, and Claire Foy. It and is pretty about... much only them. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Uh, It is about a 40-something gay screenwriter living in London who begins visiting the ghosts of his parents who died when he was a child as he is working on a screenplay about his childhood. Meanwhile, he forms a romantic relationship with the younger neighbor living in his building. It originally premiered August 31st at the Telluride Film Festival. It was released wide in the U.S. January 19th. It has a Metacritic score of 90 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 96. And I think we are going to have a bit of a spoiler-filled conversation about this. Um, so if you have not seen it or you don't want the end of the spoiled, uh, maybe don't listen to this part of the podcast. Um, Jonathan, well, it's not even really the ending. It's like what's happening in the movie from the beginning. Well, yes, sort of. Yeah, it's a movie that raises a lot of questions. And the last bit of it um, certainly makes you reconsider the things you had previously seen throughout the movie um so jonathan let's let you take away your reaction to all of us strangers as the resident gay guy yeah no (laughs) no um i found this a very affecting drama um and it's uh really is kind of a ghost story but not a, a horror film yes um there are moments of it that kind of almost or lynchian and i mean if we're going to talk about spoilers there's a part that's like that's like maholland drive like there's like a guy like someone comes in finds a dead body on a bed rotting away like yes that's like maholland drive yeah um and there's moments where people are kind of there's kind of nightmarish imagery in the film although this uh, one was the bathtub right not a bed no he's in a a bed I i thought he was in the tub that's what like brings back the him saying that his grandma said that a hot bath fixes everything. I thought that's sort of what that was referencing. He's lying in bed, isn't he? Was it? Well, you don't really see anything besides the arm. Yeah, but he's in a bed, right? I didn't think so. I thought he was in a bath. How do I we mean, not it's... realize he's in a bedroom? <laughs> anyway, um, the uh, it's based on a novel. Interestingly, Japanese the author, novel. yeah, the author just died like in December of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I've heard that I've not read it, but I've heard that it's more kind of a straightforward, like kind of a horror ghost story. In That's the what I could reckon from the, uh, the plot I read on Wikipedia is that yes. it's not quite as straightforwardly emotional and, and maybe, um, the, the sort of dead parents thing is, is a little more complicated than it is in this one because they're like sucking the life out of the main character, which is definitely not something that's happening in this one. Yeah, so it's very much, um, you know, uh, inspired by, you know, not a dr- I mean, I don't, I haven't read it, so I don't even know that in the original story that it's like uh, gay either. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Yeah, okay. Um, but um, it's interesting. Um, I have not seen Fleabag, so I don't know Andrew Scott, uh, except from like, oh, he was in like, like you look at his IMDb, like, oh, he was in that movie. I've seen he's in Pride. Four I've minutes seen... of 1917. He's in. Um, uh Catherine called Birdie, the Lena Dunham film. He was yes. quite amusing in that. Um, yeah, he's one of those that he's in Saving Private Ryan. He's in Band of Brothers. He's very yeah. prominently well, every, featured. Every in actor from the last 30 years is in Band of Brothers and Saving Private Ryan. It's and true. Black Hawk Down. Like yes. they all came out around the same time. It's like you go and the IMDb. You have a like, Venn diagram oh. that's like a circle of just all of Hollywood. Yes. Um, it's like a certain age male actor. Um <laughs> But uh, but anyway, um, all of us strangers. 
uh, is a film where there are basically only four characters in the whole film. Yes. Uh, there are four actors and three of whom it, might be dead the whole time. <laughs> yes. And I have kind of a crazy crackpot theory. I don't know if I should throw it out ahead of time now, but um, uh, it's a film that uh, is about a man who's struggling with grief and not even current grief necessarily because uh, but it stayed with him because uh, his parents died when he was very young. They both died in a car accident. And um, but also his film... own identity to a certain extent, because it seems like he's not quite although he is a gay man, he hasn't quite lived like a life of being an openly gay man. At least that's what it sort of seems like. Yeah, it's like he is so like he's, you know, he says all these things to his parents that he never got to because, you know, he never. I don't know if he even fully realized himself when you're like, what was he, 12 years old? When yes, his 12, died. yeah. Uh, you know, it's like he he gets to through either, you know, is he creating all of this in his mind uh, for the sake of a screenplay? Is it just kind of a thought exercise? Is he actually going back to see his parents' ghost? Um, but he's getting to say all these things he never got to. And it's almost like a form of therapy. And it's also, you know, there's even scenes where, he is like crawling back in bed with his parents and he's wearing his old yeah. clothes. So it's almost like exposure therapy or yeah. something, but it's, but it's this kind of, a, I mean, one word I would describe, I've heard someone say this too about the film. There's kind of this ethereal quality. And yes. one of the reasons it's such a well-written film is that there's multiple lines in the movie where you can interpret it in multiple ways. You can yes. interpret it in kind of the, in the moment conversation, but also you can think of it in a bigger context of like the what could have happened, what should have happened, what he wished had happened. Yes. Uh, and so there's all these kind of uh, you know, dual meanings of a lot of the the lines in the film. And and that performance or performances are really subtle and delicate because uh especially like the parents. Yes. They, it's like they are set in this kind of ethereal, you know, middle ground of like they're from the past. But they're, you know, they're like aware with, that they're dead also. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but it's also this uh, thing where they kind of are play acting in that, like they're, they're going about chores and they're interacting with their, it's like this weird thing, but it works. It's like the conceit works where they're, they're going about, you know, and it's like they know they're dead, but they're saying like, you know, oh, like, you know, they're like asking questions about like, they don't really know what happened in the future, yes. but they know they're dead. Yes. And yeah. they're really curious about what his life is like. And I thought one of the standout scenes is is when he like comes out to his mom, where she's like asking like, oh, are you married? Like, do you have a girlfriend? Like, you know, what's your girlfriend like? And that she, it's not like a wish fulfillment thing where he comes out and she's just like, well, isn't that great? Like, I always knew you were and we were, we were always be supportive. Like, she's like, not really very you know, on board with this whole sort of thing. And obviously she died in 1988 or 1989 or something like that. So like the first thing she thinks about is AIDS and um, how dangerous it is to be a homosexual man. Um, and you can sort of tell of her performance that like she wants to accept her son, but um, it, I mean, it really brought out just how much attitudes I guess have changed in the last 30 years or so, because 1988 doesn't seem like that long ago. But the sort of perspective on gay people was massively different back then. Um, 
And I, and I you see that, the difference with like Paul Mescal's character, where even you know he uses the phrase like you know are you queer, yeah. and like Andrew Scott's character is like well I'm gay, you know it's like <laughs> yeah. he. he he, you know, it's like back then the word queer was used as like a derogatory yeah. term. And now it's been like, you know, what do you call it? You know, repurposed or, you know, reappropriated, you know. Uh, and and it's just interesting how it's like Paul Mescal's uh, character feels like, uh, you know, he it's like I said, Andrew Scott's character is very, uh, you know, he's out and he, it, you know, it's like he'll at least say other people like you know i don't have a problem with being gay i'm a you know a proud gay man but there's this kind of melancholy and loneliness it's like this darkness that and also you know, kind of like a fear of intimacy right yeah because you know he has these parents that you know you know he wasn't ex they just like left his life suddenly both of them and it's like he's he's a there's kind of a fear of attachment yes i think and, and it, it uh, seems like from the movie that when he goes and moves in with his grandmother and and becomes very used to sort of pretending that he's, you know, someone that he isn't because he's much more, you know, keeping a defensive around himself that people can't make fun of him for being different and stuff like that. It's much more about conforming um, and not exposing yourself to embarrassment or ridicule or things like that, which, you know, brings us to Paul Mescal's character, who's sort of his purpose is showing him that you sort of can love someone and you can be intimate and expose parts of yourself that you would like to be guarded to other people. But then we find out that maybe Paul Mescal has been dead the whole time as well, <laughs> which well, when that was revealed, I like was completely devastating to me near the end. Yeah. Cause it's like, not only like, are his parents dead, but well, can I throw out my crazy theory? Yes, you can do that. Okay. I have a theory that, Harry and Adam are the same person and that the idea because for one thing he lives in this building where like there's nobody no else. one else lives there yeah and there's this kind of ghostly quality besides like him literally going back to see the ghost of his yes. parents but I have this idea that what if not only is he going back in time to see his parents but uh, Harry is the uh, Paul Mescal character what if because of his loneliness and his issues he committed suicide and it's like the older version is like what he wished he had gotten to be. I don't I don't have this fully formed in my head, but I just I got I've, it stuck in my head. I've definitely seen things of people saying that Andrew Scott's character, Adam, is also dead and that the sort of hotel they live in is a kind of purgatory because like not hotel. I mean, it's an apartment building, but just because yeah. like there aren't empty apartment buildings in London and yeah. And stuff like that. I mean, and like, there's all these shots in the film of like people's reflections, you know, in the elevator mirrors yes. and on the subway windows. And like the, the first time this actually hooked into my head about like, what if they're the same person or even if it's not like literally the same person, there's this kind of like, um kind of persona thing yeah the Mulholland Drive like I said there's this kind of idea of uh I mean even Mulholland Drive there's like two like four you know there's like there's yeah. th there's you know they're two different people but they play two each one half plays another person but in this the there's a scene where they're on the subway uh and like you see Adam and Harry and like their faces are like reflected against each other like oh what if they're like the same person i don't know i don't fully form this idea but i just got in my head that what if it's like and even like i said even if it's not literally that they're the same person there's kind of the idea of like you can think of it as adam like 
seeing himself in Harry and like, what if I was able to live more openly and more accepting? Like, yes, you know, had a, you know, you know, life that was, you know, more happy and fulfilled. But then you see like, even Harry is like taking drugs and he's seemingly, uh, but it's a movie to like every little moment. It's like in the club scene, there's like one brief moment where other characters are briefly like looking at them. So you can't completely go like they're totally a ghost because other people i mean i don't know it's hard it's hard to well i don't know it's sort of what i i like to think that he kind of is really seeing his parents like his parents really are ghosts who were in his childhood home um and that harry also is really a ghost and he he gets to sort of have this romantic relationship with him where he gets to experience more parts of himself and you know show more of himself to the world than he had been because it seems like he basically just stays in his apartment and, and writes and, and watches top of the pops and eats candy basically it's like his whole life so you know not like the worst thing in the world but he's not living his true reality um and he gets to sort of do this with the the paul mescal character harry um as a ghost because the the sort of really the only thing that you can really but even this, we don't know if it really happened. Is at the beginning, uh, Harry kind of tries to pick up Adam, knocks on his door, and was like, you know, let's like hang out. Let's let's see where it goes. And Adam turns. It's him like away. the whole relationship could be invented for the screenplayer in his mind. Like, yeah, he might. Yeah, that. yeah. That's the thing, also about the whole meta quality of it. it's like, is this just something he's working on? Um, but it, but what what's works so well out in the movie is that it feels so me- emotionally real and invested. Yes. Like it never feels like a like a like literary, a gimmick. Yeah, yeah, no, no. And um, it's and that's what makes the end so devastating when you're like, "Fuck, he was dead the whole time." It's like well, you know, like uh, all I wanted. And everyone is, may be dead at the end. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he. I really don't want him to be. Like, I, I yeah, want him but, to like move forward in his life, write this screenplay you know that becomes like a big hit and gets to enjoy being an out gay man in london and you know has these people who he carries with him in his heart as he moves forward but the ending is very kind of abstract and expressionistic in a way that i mean it really could buy into the theory that just everybody's dead um because it's so expressionistic um but this is it wouldn't quite make my top 10, I don't think, but this is one of my favorite movies of 2023, definitely. I think it's one of the best acted, certainly. I thought Jamie Bell was outstanding as the dad, a really uh, subtle performance. The scene where uh, Adam is talking to his father about being picked on in school and, and his father sort of admitting like, yeah, I, I probably would have picked on you too if, if I was your same age and how how bad he feels about you know, never going up to him when he heard him crying in his room. I was like, geez, this is just like beautifully heartbreaking. Um, and yeah, some of the, the stuff between Harry and Adam, I thought was really, really good. Um, and sexy, I have to add. <laughs> I mean, that's what people are saying. I mean, as like a, as a, as a hetero person, I, I don't know. I didn't quite think when sexy, it, but it was, it was, it did feel a bit different, I guess, than other sort of, gay romances i've seen um uh, right i have a straight friend who saw it before me and he said even i have to say i thought that was pretty sexy movie yeah. part. <laughs> and um yeah the uh it's also i mean this is a weird comment but like paul mescal fits into that category of like adam driver of kind of like weird looking hot yes like there's something like not you know typical hot you know there's something a little bit like ragged around well, i think he's or... sort of yeah i've been described as like sad boy hot basically sad boy sexy um, yeah as he does but, uh, he does typically 
is attracted to roles where he generally plays sort of troubled emotionally devastated people who maybe are abusing substances <laughs> yeah and um i and like i said uh you're you're a big fan of fleabag you knew yes. him as hot priest yes Adam yes Scott. from season two yes one of the great yeah. television performances of all, of all time um <laughs> that's i don't know that's something i guess i also didn't necessarily get like is andrew scott like really is he really that hot like well he's, like, he's handsome he's i mean yeah i mean it's not definitely not like an ugly guy but Maybe it's something about his personality and stuff like that that I guess makes him a bit more sexy. But it's this is a very different performance than other stuff you see him in. Like um, Sherlock, I think he's really well known from that, which is a pretty manic, over-the-top performance. This is a lot more subtle. And not to say that he hasn't done that before, but I think just maybe people might be more familiar with him from well, Fleabag or, or Well, it's interesting. All three, film, yeah, all three films, basically, the lead actor or actress – uh have rarely been the lead in their films yes yeah like and a lot of them are uh i mean jeffrey wright's certainly a um you know uh you know a film well-known respected film, movie but, actor yeah um but uh he um but yeah i mean ingenue i mean he's one of those people that like you look at her filmography and it's like she got you know nominated for king richard but like it's one of those like oh she's like i've seen her in like a dozen movies but like you don't mm -hmm. You know, it's one of those people you didn't really, it's like at a certain point, like, you know, her name, like mm -hmm. usually it's yeah, like when they get nominated for Oscars, <laughs> but like at, Adam Scott was one like, oh yeah, he's on Fleabag, that show I haven't seen. But then you go like, oh, I've seen like this, 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 like, of course I've seen Saving Private Ryan. Like he's an actor that's been around and you've seen him and stuff. Been around for a long him. time. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But and, this is, uh, it's definitely, I mean, he's becoming a bigger actor. This is, uh, it might not be his first lead performance, but this is the biggest lead performance I can think of that he's done. And he's really, really good. I mean, the movie sort of makes or breaks based on his performance. He's in basically every scene. I mean, the whole sort of movie is through his perspective. Um, well, um, I think that uh, to do it like I did with Origin and Ava DuVernay's like previous work, uh, uh, the director, Andrew Hay. Hey, hey, like, hey, yeah, uh, yeah, it, yeah, he, um, <laughs> so his, uh, his film weekend is kind of a seminal gay film. It's, um, his first movie. It, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, not, no, not his first, but it's one of, uh, I think it's a second feature. Okay. Uh, but weekend is a film that it's not like a gay version of like before, uh, sunset. It's like two gay guys meet and they hang out over a brief pound of time and there's uh -huh. kind of like the question of like is are they even going to see each other again what's the future and it's just like really achingly beautiful and real and honest and it's a film like all the strangers that uh kind of looks very authentically and you know uh at, at what it means to be a gay man there's something very authentic like it like it says things that a lot of other gay films don't like the mm -hmm. like the things that gay men just say to each other and like or even in like they don't even say it out loud sometimes like they think it uh, and there's also with 45 years, which is about a heterosexual, you know, elder, you know, older couple that's celebrating been married for, 45 yeah. years of marriage. <laughs> yes. And um, but a lot of his films have to do with the idea of relationships in the passage of time. It's like weekends, a very condensed amount of time and 45 years is kind of the impact of finding out something in the past after 45 years of marriage. So uh, he, a lot of his films have to do with kind of the idea of relationships and how time affects them. And revelations, and, uh, I guess. Yeah. And I think that um, there's, uh, yeah. And, and, and then he did, uh, you know, lean on Pete, which is this, you know, kind of coming of age film 
uh, straight character in that, but uh, in a way, you know, the film's about kind of self-discovery, and mm -hmm. you could say that's also kind of a, a an idea, even yeah, though well, this yeah. man is like in his mid-40s, the main character, there's, he's still kind of... He comes you know, of age a bit later than, than most people would. And also it's partially because of his tragic family circumstances. Yes. It's like these life experiences, it's like he's putting it through his head as a man and is like what early to mid forties. And yes. he's, you know, he's like doing these exercises where it's like, what if I had been able to do this? And you feel like perhaps he's been, you know, maybe stunted not the right word, but there's been this um, slight absence in his life about like, there's these big life experiences that he uh, life posts in his life that he hasn't gotten to experience. Like, most people i mean gay or straight yeah especially as a gay man he hasn't gotten he didn't get to come out to his parents i mean i was affected because like i never came out to my dad and yeah. i was thinking and seeing like oh you know like um you know I, I i had that in common and there's something that's kind of uh you know it's like you like most people hopefully would think well yeah they would be totally accepting but you, there's also part of you just like but what would they say like what would their reaction yeah. be um so no, i yeah, can definitely so, understand that yeah, so I thought it was a very well acted. I mean, I was kind of surprised, uh, not shocked, but because uh, there was, you know, just a lot of categories that were, uh, you know, very competitive. But uh, I would have been nice to see Andrew Scott nominated or, you know, yeah. some of the actors. You know, it's just such a, you know, it's one like you could have been nominated in all four acting categories. Yeah, I mean, um, seriously. Or not lead actress, but the, yeah. you could, all four of them could have been nominated. And it got a number in BAFTA nominations. Yes. Yes, for director, adapted screenplay, supporting actress, supporting actor for Paul Mescal. Um, yeah, yeah I, like I, we said, it was I, just a very competitive year. I mean, a lot of really good movies. Um, yeah, and it's interesting how many of them are about writers because yeah, you know, we have uh, uh, those three films and uh, Anatomy of the Fall, also about a writer in a way. The husband. May December is about an actor, but also sort of forming a narrative and stuff like that. Um, yes there's um you know yeah. you know yeah and yeah so there's there's just uh it's interesting like yeah so i very much liked all of the strangers i um, loved it i mean it was emotionally devastating but in the best possible way and also and not at all manipulative it's like very understated and just it sneaks up on you yes i mean and, and even stuff that you know in, in less deft hands might not have been emotional at all like his final departure with his parents happens at like a American cafe and it was just like ugh, it was just one of the most sort of like heartbreaking beautiful scenes I've, I've seen in a, in a long time I really really like this I I had high expectations because I've wanted to see this for quite a while um, also one of the great soundtracks of the year outstanding outstanding soundtrack yeah, really someone pointed <laughs> one, one critic pointed out that like uh even before maybe the character realized he's gay, his music taste knew he was gay. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a, I mean, there's a great uh, scene where they're doing like a Christmas, decorating the Christmas tree and uh, you were always on my mind. The cover comes on and it's sort of like the mom's way of, of saying what she, you know, can't use her own words to say that I just thought was amazing. Um, right. Really subtle, just great stuff. Um so yeah, really liked all of the strangers. Probably my favorite and, of the three. I, I yes, liked American Fiction quite a lot too. Did not like Origin at all. Um, I thought it was one of the more baffling decisions to be made as a narrative feature over a documentary that I can think of. I, 
I'd like to hear more explanation from Ava DuVernay of why she decided to make that choice. I'm sure she's talked about it. Um, but I want to like grill her in person. Like why? <laughs> I haven't really listened to any interviews with the director of this film. I want to know. Cause like I, I did hear that he actually filmed in his actual childhood home. Yes. Yeah. 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 That I it's... wonder how much like if, is, well, did his parents die? Like what is, or is that just totally created for the film or. I've, I've heard through interviews with Andrew Scott that um, he also contributed quite extensively to the formation of this character. And that it's kind of, um, as aspects of yeah of both of their lives because they're around interesting all three andrew yeah it's true character name and the director and yeah yeah. so you really get the sort of blending of personalities which you know contributes to your theory about them being the same person as well Uh, yes i mean (laughs) i build up your evidence for that (laughs) i mean this is the weirdest example but you ever see the movie by xavier dolan mommy no Okay, it's very good. I don't know why I got this in my head. This isn't even like an interpretation thing, but like for some reason, I thought like two of the main women actors in it were the same actress and they weren't. And I was just like, wow, this is an amazing like parent trap, you know, like Peter Sellers thing. And then I was like, no, they're just two different actors. I don't know why. I just, they kind of looked similar to me. I was like, there's a scene like where they're carrying a guy, like, wow, how'd they pull this off with special effects? I was like, they're two different actresses. <laughs> she thought it was like a technical masterpiece in a way that I was like, you know, it's like there's like this one shot of like, you know, two women carrying a man, and it's like it's two it's the like, same actress. I thought I was like, this is really kind of this is like James Cameron shit. And I was yeah. Like, no, yeah. I mean, have you ever watched a movie and, like you really got like I've had this too where this is totally different, but like do you ever you ever watch an animated film and you couldn't realize you couldn't figure out whose voice it was in it. Oh, definitely. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's definitely There's, happened. Yeah. I mean, I try to let movies just like wash over me and like, okay, I'm not sure exactly what's happening. But sometimes yeah. things stick in your head and you're like, you know. That's what I'm saying with the the Finn Whitrock thing in Origin just totally took me out of it. It's for me yeah. a very baffling casting well, decision. But yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't want to we don't want to doubt on too long here, Jonathan, about nonsense. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I think sometimes actors should not be giant movie stars like uh, The Road. It's like, oh, the old man on the road. No, it's Robert Duvall. And like Charlize Theron's The Wild. It's like sometimes it works if you cast, you know. Not necessarily unknowns, but just not like super famous people. Um, Right. Not saying Finn Finn Whitrock is super famous, but someone I saw in The Big Short uh, took me out of it. We don't need to talk about cast anymore, thankfully. Or sorry, origin. Cast is the book, uh, or it's part of the book title. We're talking about CAST. I'm ranting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So that was a, a bit of a nebulous theme, Writers in Crisis, but three um, of the sort of more high-profile movies in the at least the sort of award season art house kind of uh, realm of the film world. Um, so we will be back not too long. Uh, to be reviewing some foreign language movies and then eventually we'll be doing our best movies of the year and the movies we're most looking forward to for next year or for this year we're currently in Uh, so thank you for listening and we will be back with you next time